0: Hey, welcome, everybody. Let's talk real estate, your weekly BS with Barry Saywitz, about the current commercial real estate market here in Southern California. As we take a no BS look at both sides of the issues driving this market today to find the best solutions going forward, with our man right in the middle, Barry Saywitz. Hey, Barry. Hey, good morning, Paul, and good morning to all of you out there, all of our listeners and our viewers. Welcome back. If it's Tuesday, we're talking real estate. I am Barry Saywitz, president of the Saywitz Company and managing partner of Saywitz Properties. And if it's one thing that I've learned in my 30 plus years of doing this, it's to look at both sides of the equation and try and come up with the best solutions in terms of making decisions in anything you do, but certainly with respect to your real estate world. And today we're going to try and do that. We're going to give you some uh, insights and some updates and hopefully some direction to help you in your decision making. And so I'm excited about today's show. Before we get going, I do want to do a shout out to all of the students out there who by now everyone should be back in school and should be in class plugging away. And for those with limited or no air conditioning, I'm sorry for you. You'll have to get through it, but it is much cooler here in Southern California today. And over the next couple of weeks, I'm hoping it trends down everywhere you are. So with that said, I want to welcome our guest today, Eric Earnstoff, CEO of E3 Capital Partners in Los Angeles. Eric, welcome to the show. You are a uh, thanks for coming down from LA and making the hike. It's a pleasure to have you on the show.
1: Thank you. Good to be here.
0: Yeah. So Eric is a accomplished author, athlete, CEO, motivational speaker, all of the above. And so while there's plenty of different things to talk about, I want to focus on the real estate brokerage and the lending pieces of those aspects of of what he does. And E3 Capital Partners is a commercial real estate brokerage company, full service in Los Angeles, and also a full service uh, commercial and residential lender as well. And so Eric, I want to start with your background, your former OC guy now in Los Angeles uh, via many other places. And I'm gathering that you've seen the growth all over Southern California over the past 10, 20 years in terms of the real estate side of things. I guess if we take a step back for a second and look at where we were a year ago versus where we are today, certainly many changes in the market and the economy as well. What's your take in terms of of where we were before and and where we are today.
1: Well wow. I mean that's still a big question with getting out of the pandemic. You know, a year ago we were still working on that. Interest rates were at historic lows, like in your and my lifetime lows. Yeah. And that has shifted. Economy has shifted. So It just opens up a whole can, you know, with rental market versus availability of properties, depending on the sectors. And there's so many things.
0: Really full circle. Go from the doldrums of I don't know where it's going and and no light at the end of the tunnel to runaway inflation, runaway real estate prices, just really night and day. And I don't think anybody could have imagined that it would go this quickly.
1: I think all of us were waiting for it because, I mean, we also had historic climb just in valuations and and, then just boom, boom, boom for a longer cycle than is even typical. So I think people were just waiting for a kind of a shoe to fall or for a shift to happen. And I think I was expecting it years ago and we were all kind of just holding our breath waiting as it kept riding up and up and up. So we're seeing it now and we're seeing it precipitously. And yeah, we're definitely moving into a transitional time and new territory.
0: Yeah. And so, I mean, I guess let's break it down a little bit. I'll, I'll start with the brokerage piece of it. You and I are both in the brokerage world and active in multiple different sectors. And I, I really think we talked about it earlier. You have to break it down in pieces. Uh, You can't just talk about the real estate market as a whole. It just doesn't apply. So maybe we start with the struggler and then work our way up to the hot topic. If we start on the office side, certainly office has been a struggle with people not going back to work or working differently or part-time from home. And, and that affects the need for office space. Have you seen that with what you're doing and, and what you're seeing with your clients?
1: Yeah. And I've brought in, I also run a, a monthly meeting as well, and it depends on the sector. And I've, I've brought in TI people like architects and doing research because you have companies based on are people coming back to the office? The question was, are the offices going to be different? Are they going to have more square footage? Are they going to have a smaller footprint? So what, is there going to be a millions of square foot that just dumps onto the market because people are now working from home? Are they doing hybrid? Are they doing two days a week? Do the companies want everybody back full time, physically at office? And the question it still looms as to what companies what sectors want people back want to give options and and that changes the dynamic of of usage and of yeah. even how the offices are being designed or redesigned if there was another pandemic are the offices going to be set up where people are sort of more distance so that even if something happens it wouldn't disrupt the design of new office spaces. So there's so many questions. And again, it's different whether it's a law office versus, say, right. a technology and, night and day.
0: And to me, the, the struggle is if you put your pandemic hat on for a second as the CEO or as the employee, I want to be spread out. I want my own office. I exactly. want to be separated. But if you look at the collaborative aspect of just team yes. building, I don't care what industry you're in, companies were trending before the pandemic and still would from a creative standpoint. I want open area. I want creative space. So it's a push pull. The owner of the business, you, myself, I mean, people are trying to control cost, right? So.
1: Yes. And, you know, you have, depending on even the sectors within companies, some teams need to meet in person otherwise there's so many challenges that can happen about communication and about what could be a small challenge just peeking in next door and going, hey, what's going on? And getting it solved in 13 seconds versus you're telecommuting or you're on Zoom and someone's saying everything's okay and it's not and you don't find out for a week and it just blows up. Yeah. So small problems can become big problems and so you see this incredible importance for some teams to be able to meet in person and solve problems and and work on that and I've, I've spoken to team leaders and to CEOs about that. And all within the great resignation, right? Which uh, trying to keep retention, keeping employees happy and wanting them to stay. So creating an environment and a culture, is that coming back in person? Is that giving them the option? Is that, so right. there are so many challenges within that, that affects how the office space and how work is going to be designed. And, it, and then it affects what just the real estate market's gonna spa- do.
0: Right, the need for space. To your point, I don't think we've seen the millions of square feet get dumped on the market. I mean, we did see companies go out of business early on in the pandemic and end of 2021 just threw in the towel or said, I'm going to work from home or quit or whatever. But lately, I don't see that. What I do see, I'm curious your input, Mm -hmm. is really just lack of activity in the marketplace and Mm -hmm. lack of companies really making the move to go to that different better, newer, redesigned space. While there's some mm-hmm. companies that go, yes, I have to have it. I have old, dysfunctional space. You have other companies that just go, you know what? I'm going to look around. The market's still not that cheap, mm-hmm. and I'm just going to stay at the end of the day. And then the, it doesn't create any movement in the marketplace. You really have less, I'm going to say, demand than you do in, in other sectors like industrial or someplace
1: else. Yeah, you know, and you're, you want to look at sectors as well. I mean, during the pandemic, hospitality got creamed, right? Hotels and travel and things like that, as well as... You know, your little yoga or dance studio in a strip mall or, you know, these different companies that that had to close down because they couldn't have classes. So the space is emptied out. And you had these really big sweep of vacancies and, and all the rents and everything else that came with it from landlords and lack thereof. Has it readjusted? There's been a whole new cycle of, OK, what's going to fill the space? And, and that has to do with the neighborhood, right? I mean, you have some neighborhoods that are fine. I, I'm in L.A., Santa Monica, pretty well established and didn't have a challenge. But you go out kind of further out, might be a different story. This whole conversation, a whole other sector, malls right? Right. You have Westfields and some of these where, well, what's the new mall? The new mall seems to be
0: apartments, right?
1: (laughs) Yeah, well, you have life experiences at these, Caruso and Westfields more than you have going to the mall to go shopping for clothes. You have an experience. And by the way, while you're there, you might pick up some clothes or do some shopping. There's an Apple store, things like that. So that's whole shift just in the 21st century of a mall and an experience is those, you know, those are being retasked. Some of them are being torn down and multifamily being built up in mixed use. So,
0: and and, and I think for the retail side of things, it's really just going to take time. There are new businesses, the ones that did survive, seem to be doing well. They've had to do price adjustments and operating cuts and those kinds of things. But at least from the tenants that we have, that are our clients are in our properties, they're doing fine. And now it's a question of refilling that space that went dark. But from a restaurant standpoint, yeah, that's a whole nother sector, hmm. right? So you have restaurants that have gone out of business and then that's really a challenge to refill them because the capital cost to build a new restaurant or retool a restaurant. Now you have inflation, now you have supply chain, you have all these other issues.
1: The restaurants that really made it were the ones that were able to start doing delivery and pickup during the pandemic and pivoted. And I saw that a lot with those restaurants that really thrived and survived and are prevailing now. But you have food costs with inflation going up and you have, if you've gone out and eaten out, I mean, there's new menu prices out there and it's definitely more expensive to dine because they're absorbing these food and other types of costs. But they're thriving, but the consumer is paying
0: yeah. yeah, the $6 burger at yeah. Carl's Jr. is now $12.50. Yeah. I think. So <laughs> the other struggle from the restaurant side, at least that we hear on our end, is I can't find people to work. Right? So, yes. So yes. You, if you go to a fast food place, Taco Bell and McDonald's, yes. they have the kiosk. It's just like at the airport. There's no one to help you. Yes. Even if you go to the grocery store, uh, the one that I go to, if you go after 8 o'clock, there's no checkout line. Yes. You have to do it yourself because they can't find people to work. Yeah,
1: you have patrons showing up at restaurants going, uh, why am I waiting? There's six tables open and, and and the, uh, the major d' is saying, it's not about the availability of the tables. We don't have enough servers right now to serve you. And so we're working on capacity. So mm-hmm. you have, yeah, again, part great resignation of staffing and people demanding, you know, different jobs or making different decisions. So it's been very difficult to staff restaurants in, in that sector for sure.
0: So then let's shift gears. We'll move up the food chain and talk about industrial. So industrial market, totally different ball of wax. Vacancy in Los Angeles, really Southern California as a whole, tightest in the country, right? Vacancy less than 2% in some areas, almost zero. And if you want industrial space, you can't find it. And if you could find it, in some instances, it is more expensive than A-class office space, right? And so you have logistics companies That are renting larger pieces of space, whether it's an Amazon type of a company or a Walmart or just a 3PL. And then they pass those costs on to the consumer. Mm -hmm. So they don't really care what the real estate cost is. I mean, while they care, they're just passing it through. And so it runs up the market, and then you have the smaller business guy who's looking for smaller to middle-sized space, just can't find it.
1: Yeah, right? they're getting crushed. Exactly. I mean, you know, and look at what that is. These industrial with maybe office around it, these are the the Amazon-type warehouse delivery type of, which is moving out of bricks and mortar to these, these fulfillment and there's just not enough of it. You have it up in L.A. too, some of the cannabis, things like that. You have that really, industry booming. Really pay a premium if you're there. Yeah, candidate. but that's another big, you know, if they're, if they're warehousing that, yeah. competing with it. So industrial, even during the worst times of the pandemic, was exploding. I mean, it was bulletproof and it continued to go up and it still is frothy. I mean, industrial just.
0: And we've talked about it on other shows. I mean, there are older B, C-class office buildings being torn down. For what is in today's world really the highest and best use and the highest and best use could be industrial, could be multifamily. It's not B or C class office, right? Mm-hmm.
1: You know, and they're also the technology has gotten so good because if you do have warehouse, you have these dark warehouses because you have robots or machines, you have high climate controlled, you have higher ceilings. So square footage. Great. But if you can go higher and some of these technologies allow them to stack, stack, stack higher and higher, they're getting better cubic footage out of these buildings, and again, valuations, just everything with technology along with these warehousing, can't say enough about industrial, just really booming. So
0: let's shift gears to the lending side, because I know that your company does that as well, and they really go hand in hand. To me, the lending side is really two pieces. One is I'm an owner-user, and I want to go buy a building, and I want to get a loan for myself. The flip side of that is I'm an investor and I want to go buy something and I want to get a loan. So let's start with the owner user. I'm always fascinated with that logic because the owner user, we have clients on the brokerage side on our end that they all want to own a building. Mm -hmm. And why wouldn't you if rents are at an absolute high, you'd want to control your destiny and lock it in. However, the prices are at an all time high. Now interest rates have moved up and the goal line gets pushed further away. And so what do you tell on the brokerage side? the clients that are looking to buy, whether it's office, industrial, what have you, for their own use, do you go buy it or do you wait?
1: So E3 Capital Partners, my company, primarily is centered in finance. So commercial and residential finance. So you're talking owner-user, we offer SBA financing. Yep. So people can finance up to 90% of an owner-user property. It doesn't make it cheaper, but uh, it takes less capital. And if they're looking to try to do that and they've been paying rents, their rents are going up anyway. They're looking at, you know, it's just like you're not getting much benefit from rent. But if you actually buy and own or use the building, put it in an LLC, now you have the real estate and then you have the company leasing it from your real estate, you're going to get a tax benefit from that. Of course, you're going to write off a bunch of stuff, and you're going to own the building. And even if you only have 10% equity in it, you're still able to jump in.
0: The SBA financing is by far the best way to go. So if you qualify, if you're purchasing a property that, that works for it, I mean, the short answer of what we tell our clients is you should just do it, right? The issue is if you can find it, right? Because the other issue is you have to find a building that actually will work for your company because you are going to be there for some extended period of time, maybe not for 30 years or 20 years, but you're going to be there for five or 10 years. And if it doesn't really work for you, don't buy something just for the sake of buying it. But at the same time, like you say, it's limited capital investment. You can roll in the cost of the improvements and you can lock in interest rates. Yes.
1: Yeah. And yeah, interest it's more expensive with the interest rates going up. And again, uh, you know, it looks like this week Fed is starting to head fake or whatnot, not a fake, to uh add another three quarters to uh to the rate. So we'll see as 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 they're trying to control inflation and everything else. Um, you know, you're if someone qualified for a ten million dollar building, they may only qualify with the none. same with the same rates for a five million dollar building now. So uh, Etc. So that's definitely a factor being factored in, but that's part of the attempt of trying to slow down the economy without stalling it out, and that's an art. And you know, the Fed, in my opinion, is always chasing; they're always behind the that, and and um, and it's you know the market also corrects that as well. So it'll be interesting to watch, and it's been interesting to to see what's what's happening.
0: Yeah, and we don't want to get too political on the show because yeah. we'll stick to real estate, but. It seems like the Fed got it wrong again, uh, which is why today the stock market's in the tank. And Mm -hmm. it's almost a certainty, I think, that you'll see another three-quarter basis point hike. Now people are looking ahead, saying, what's going to happen in the next meeting in November? Are they going to do it again? Because if they can't get it under control, you will continue to see the rates tick up. Which brings me to my next point, because as rates go up, you would think that the prices have to at least level off or come down accordingly accordingly. Because it is just more expensive for somebody to purchase a property, or if that purchase is based on income, if it's mm-hmm. an investment, yes. How can I pay a three cap and then finance it at five or six percent? Yeah. it doesn't
1: hunt. Right? Well, there's two. There's two pieces there, or well, there's more than two pieces. But um, rents aren't going down. So, um, so there's there's that in terms of, but in ter- in terms of. Costs and valuations—we're starting to see some uh, some kinking you know, in the armor. I think some, right? yeah, some stalling out a little bit. It's—I wouldn't say it's dumping, but um, you are seeing—you know—with all the cash and all of the buyers on the market that were aggressive to buy when interest rates were low. You know, there's not 20, 20 bidders that are that are bidding above anymore. There's there's two, and they might be bidding below. Um, so pricing the property correctly. And then, uh, especially in commercial real estate, you're going to be looking at the revenues and income model anyway. Um, what What is that doing? Well, rents are still good, and the valuations are still good. But I don't think that, you know, they're definitely not going upward um, anymore. They're, people are looking twice, and the affordability is less, and um, they're having to put more down. Yeah, so,
0: and, and so then that makes the barrier to entry that much more difficult. Right. And then the question becomes... Uh, curious, your input, as you have to come up with more money down,
1: mm-hmm.
0: that moves the goalpost further away yes. from the guy who only had a fixed amount of capital. Yes. So the people that are then continuing to buy these types of properties, whether it's an apartment building, whether mm-hmm. it's an office building or a small retail center that's predicated on the rent and the mm-hmm. income that's coming in, if you, if my capital is only so much and I can't afford it and I get priced out. And the price is not coming down significantly. Who then is the buyer for these kinds of properties? Is yeah. it REITs. the ten thirty one guy? Is it the investment groups? Is it the REITs? Depending upon the price points,
1: yeah, or and foreign
0: investors, right? Is it all the above?
1: There was an article about um, about having REITs going out and buying, uh, you know, these big funds that are basically um, just hugely capitalized, uh, going and buying this. And what is it doing to the neighborhoods? Because they can buy and hold. Um, rents can stay up and, and it, you know, not to get political on the show, but it's pushing out lower and middle-class people out of certain neighborhoods as, as they gentrify. And, uh, you know, there's a real interesting article about how uh, that was really, as you keep mentioning um, an inequality and kind of the smaller, smaller guy who's entrepreneurial and trying to just get his property or get a few investments uh, versus a, a beast coming in with you know funds like big funds um, going and buying it out and competing with them. It's 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 David and Goliath, and it's it is an interesting balance, and that does have down the line a very interesting mix of of who's owning and and what that's going to do to the neighborhood, what that's going to do to the tenants and, and the tenancies. So, yeah.
0: and, and I've talked, the lenders that I've spoken to are really tightening their belt in terms of how they're looking at real estate deals. As much as they want to lend and they have money to yeah. lend and they've told me specifically we want to lend, they're not just giving it out like no. candy, right? And so the mom and pop type of buyer that is trying mm-hmm. to come in and buy a property they're scrutinized that much more because they're not a seasoned operator and they don't
1: have the deep pockets. Even if they are a seasoned operator, um, you the one thing about commercial though and underwriting from an underwriting standpoint, commercial, even, you know, pre 2008 and 2008, commercial underwriting hasn't changed much, which is amazing. You know, the residential, they had to do a bunch of restructuring and all that stuff that we know about the meltdown of 2008 and there's all kinds of compliance stuff. But, you know, when you're looking at income approach and you're looking at the revenue and you're looking at market rents and you're looking at comp rents around and and being able to, you know, if you're going to do a value add where we're getting rents, but we're going to improve and then we could bring it up to the neighborhood's uh, competitive rents. And and that's the idea of that play. Um, there's still sensible underwriting. The, the thing about the lenders that that crushed me um at the beginning of 2020 when when the pandemic first came out was that they not only did they get scared about who's going to be paying their rents, but also um, they started to handicap. So not only were they doing their regular underwriting, but they're going, all right, well, you have 100% occupancy right now, uh, and this is multifamily or a commercial, um, but we're going to start handicapping 20% or 10% Just vacancy because they're scared that the tenants may stop paying right. because of this. Which is real. And so now, yeah, and so, so at that point, when we're trying to finance, well, now you're gonna, they're gonna qualify for less, and we're gonna have to bring in more at a time when they're already on their heels. Right. So um, that was a real, that was a real serious issue but now
0: fast forward to today and today the issue is that when i go to underwrite it i'm underwriting at a six percent underwriting rate because that's where i think the future is and my debt coverage ratio might still be the same and so now you qualify for less Less. so what that does do at least to me is the people the refi market whether it's commercial residential is done Mm -hmm. other than somebody who absolutely has to have cash uh, otherwise, why would you do it? Somebody who has a 25 or a 3 or 3.5% three mortgage, why would you go get 6% money unless you have to get it? Unless right? you
1: have to because your, your term is up. Right,
0: or your term is up, or you have an event, or you have an estate planning issue, or something like that, uh, or you need the money for a different deal. But otherwise, that's out the window. And so now when I go to take the property and I underwrite it at the future interest rate, then you're right, the dollars are just that much less. And so, uh, have you seen the disconnect between how that plays back to the transaction where you have a buyer and a seller, and then they either agree on a price or the buyer's perception is this property should be worth less because rates are going up and the seller's still holding on to yesterday's market? Because we see that a lot, a lot. I'm curious what you're seeing out there.
1: Well. Right, there's the equalizer is the appraisals and and um, the seller if they try to hang on to yesterday's price. And this is residential too. Yes, yeah, you know, all uh, it's board. all about pricing, and uh, if they're pricing it too high, guess what? It's sitting on the market. And if they're if they're needing to sell, uh, they're hemorrhaging. They're you know the the cost to carry. Uh, if they're if they don't need to sell, and that's a great position to be in. We don't need to sell. We'll just wait for our price. But if they are uh, ready to go, uh, then. There's, you know, that that's the shift from a seller's market to a buyer's market. That's the beginning of the shift when buyers start drying up um, at that price point, and uh, you start taking a lower offer because it's, you know, hey, I'll take it now for a little bit less than hold on to it for six months and hemorrhage that much money, and I would have I'm gonna get less in six months anyway, and I've already hemorrhaged more. So why not?
0: And we talk about in our office, we call it surety of close right? Yeah. There, there's no reason to go into escrow or make a deal or start down the path with a guy who's going to come back and retrade you or who just can't perform exactly. and, and versus someone who is absolutely going to close. And so bird the hand, right? Yes. And so take the deal and get out and, and, and move on. We have clients that should have taken the deal, six months so should yes. have refinanced six months ago, didn't, shoulda, woulda. Now let's move they on.
1: They come back to me, those people that didn't, they come right. back to me like, hey, I'm like,
0: they're, and they're shaking their head going yeah. and you're like I told you so yeah. and so 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 we only have a few minutes left but I mean let's talk about where you think we're headed going forward, right? Let's try and look ahead, give our viewers and our listeners of our interest rates going to be higher come first of the year than they are now. Yes or no? Yes. Yeah. And our cap rate's going to be higher, the same or less for investment property than they are today and six months from now.
1: Trick question. It depends on the sector. So I'm going to say depends.
0: Yeah. And let's take go office.
1: Where? Right ABC, right. cities, so again it, it it's real estate is local. everybody knows that probably all the listeners know that you know Riverside is going to be different than Santa Monica is going to be different than Irvine. Yeah. Um, so if it's triple net, you know, in, in Minnesota, is it is it a Del Taco in San Diego? So it's all over the place. And I think that with rates staying high, and they will, and you know what? There's still record lows for, you know, 40 years. It's all relative, yeah, right? I mean, I mean you I, do
0: talk about, hey, six stinks relative to two and a half or three. Yeah. But it doesn't stink in the scheme of
1: things. I was an A, my first house, A++ paper, my first loan was 8.4%. And I was like, I was singing at the top of my lungs, saying I just scored the best rate ever that's even on the market right now, 8.4. Back in the day, so um, so yeah, the, these are still relative to you know history, still relatively low. It's just we've had an artificially low interest rate environment for several years, and. People of short memory don't even right. know past People that. People forget. Yeah.
0: So And so do you think that the supply-demand dynamic, so industrial, take it mm-hmm. for example, right, very low vacancy, very high rates, Yes. does that negate all the other things in the world, whether it's inflation, whether it's higher interest rates, does it get back to the simple economics model of supply versus demand, and does it keep those numbers at all times higher? Or at some point, does it start to taper off?
1: Well, you know, I I think it's always shifting. It's always dynamic. And there are so many more economic currents in that ocean that we're looking at, whether it's a war, whether it's supply chain and disruption. They're about to have a strike possibly with the trains, which is going to disrupt supply chain, which which disrupts the entire economy. There are so many factors that overlay onto what the future is going to hold with the economy. Then the Fed's behavior rates staying up for a while demand and consumption. Right.
0: I mean, so what's the single most, I guess, important factor that you guys watch in your office or in your shop that's going to affect what happens in your world? I assume it's probably the Fed, but I don't.
1: We look at a lot of indicators. So that's that's a difficult question. But one thing to watch coming up has to do with employment numbers, because when the rates start going up to try to slow down inflation slowing down the economy and when you start slowing down the economy businesses make less money cuz they're they're selling less stuff when they make less money layoffs start yeah. so we're going to start looking at you know how long is this going to be before we get inflation under control you worry about stagflation as well where it's slower but people are not buying as much so We're looking at employment numbers and seeing if that's, you know, and the longer that happens, the worse it's going to be. People are going to suffer more and you can even go into a recession or, you know, et cetera. So I would watch employment numbers and the behavior of the working people. To me, it's the coffee
0: talk, right? People yes. sit around the table, people sit around a coffee shop and they talk about if they believe the economy is going to get worse, they act accordingly. Yes. Right. If they believe things are going to yes. cost more. Consumer sentiment. Yes, exactly. Consumer and, confidence. And, and, and that feeds, historically, in my opinion, the real estate market. Because as much as the real estate market is dependent upon supply demand, is dependent upon those types of things, you also have just consumer sentiment with regards yes. to it. and so all of emotions, those things, yeah, and so all of those things play into it. I think it'll be interesting to see how how it plays out. So, uh, Eric, how can people reach you if they want to find uh, your company?
1: So, uh, E Three Capital Partners. Uh, you can Google E Three Capital Partners. My name is Eric Aaronstoft. You can find it that way. Financing, you need some brokerage. LA area. We, we do all of California and, uh, and commercially we do all of the United States. So E3 capital partners. Yeah.
0: Capital E, the number three capital partners. Right. I appreciate the input and the insight. We could probably go all day, but, uh, we all have other things to move on to. So I appreciate you coming on and sharing your thoughts with us. Much continued success to you and your businesses and uh, your upcoming book. And so I'll look forward to it.
1: Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So, for everyone out there, thanks again for tuning
0: in and listening in. I'm Barry Sawitz, president of the Sawitz Company. Special thanks to uh, our whole crew, our producer, Sophia, uh, Paul, and the whole team here at OC Talk Radio. Thanks for putting everything together. And to you out there, thanks for listening and tuning in. And uh, we'll see you next week here on Let's Talk Real Estate. you have it you've been listening to let's talk real estate your weekly bs with barry Saywitz about the current state of the real commercial real estate market right here in southern california on orange county's only community radio station oc talk radio streaming live from our studio here at the university of california irvine's beal applied innovation center